Welcome to Running is Bullshit, I'm Stuart. And I'm Amy, and you're listening to the podcast that loves to hate running. And to start this week, we want to start by acknowledging the increased attention around women's safety and assaults happening to them in the wake of Sarah Everard's murder in London a few weeks ago. It has once again highlighted the heartbreaking reality that women cannot simply go about their normal lives without either actively taking measures to protect themselves or worrying about the risk of attack. And women's safety is something that comes up fairly frequently on this mm. podcast. And I'm sure most of the women listening have a story about when they have felt sort of uneasy or threatened on a run. I know I told a little story a few months ago about um, a guy that was exposing himself when I was running. And I'm sure to different degrees, lots of uh, female runners have had experiences where they have felt uneasy or scared or even been assaulted in, in worse possible situations. But often the onus is on the victim to sort of quote-unquote prevent attacks. So we often make fun of those endless articles we see on how to be safe as a woman when running, you know? It's sort of drummed into us that we need to be scared. Um, and of course, we always advocate that everyone should take safety precautions when they're, they're running. And I'm sure women in particular will, will want to do more so at the moment. Um, but we really want to advocate that this this is just a symptom of a larger societal issues that starts with sort of ed- everyday sexism that is all too common for women and that the, the owners should really be on the people who are committing these things. And also cases where... Um, everyday sexism and these everyday things aren't being challenged as well it's not just at the extreme where women are being attacked it's also these more sort of uh, everyday things where where this sort of culture is um carrying on isn't it so uh just draw your attention to the un recent report that 97 percent of all women aged 18 to 24 in the uk has been sexually harassed which is insane 97 percent. Like, that's pretty much all women yeah yeah i don't think i've seen a statistic of like an age group like that where it's been 97 percent. like that's yeah. more people than like eat breakfast or brush their teeth or wear socks you know those yeah. such normal things 97 percent of all women mm. but this is the great quote here which really summarizes what i was trying to say just then um, about where this, um, how we need to address these issues. At the root of all this is the normalisation of the idea that a woman's body in a public place is simply public property and young women just have to put up with it. You know, we need to start changing these ideas. It's not all about just saying as a woman you need to take safety precautions and be scared all the time. It's about addressing what are the reasons why women are scared, you know? Yeah, um, I, I kind of didn't know what else to write in this kind of part of it because I knew we needed to talk about it, we needed to address it. But it's, you know, when I was staring at that blank page, I'm like, God, where do you start? And what what can I say that will be useful? Because I can't say anything that any woman will, won't know. And I don't know, in a way, I kind of don't like seeing these long, th- I know, okay, long a lot of people do it, long posts and threads on social media from men saying how outraged they are about it. Mm. I, I, for some reason that makes me a little uncomfortable because it's oh, I don't know it, it, I just find it a tricky one to respond to obviously it's god it's a horrible thing to respond to but for, like from a personal point of view and a podcast point of view and a running club point of view oh, I don't know I've really struggled this week so I, pro- I haven't probably done enough on it this week I don't think I yeah. probably do need to put a bit more work in, I think. I, I think it just comes down to like not putting up with these, what we're now seeing is, you know, what we're seeing as cultural norms. So things like quote unquote locker room talk and stuff mm, and how it's yeah. it's normal for some men to, to go out and, and speak about women in this way. If, if you're a man and your mate or whoever is talking about women in that way, 
address it you know i think it starts from those little little things to change this culture because it is just a symptom of a, of a wider issue as that statistic shows it's not just a one-off and actually for for sarah that ended in the worst possible situation that there could have been but a lot of women had had similar experiences where it hasn't ended so badly, but where they felt scared. And, and like even, like I said, to a lesser degree, men, men exposing themselves, men making comments and just feeling unsafe. And it's such a huge issue, but it only really makes the headlines in these really awful cases. Um, so I definitely think there's there's more that can be done to address these more everyday things that are contributing to this broader culture of, of how we're seeing women in society. Yeah, like that wouldn't have been the first um, thing that's happened to Sarah and it no. wouldn't have been the first time the perpetrator had done something that he shouldn't, you know, neither of those were like the first time unique uh, occurrences. I know a lot of people have been sharing the Daniel Sloss video, which is very, very good on Twitter, uh, about which is just about talk to your boys, about mm. how we all know people, we've all known people at some point who have exhibited behavior that could potentially escalate and we haven't put a stop to it. Mm. Uh, I think all men are probably in that situation when they think back. So yeah, the, you know, there's lots of things that we can read and we just have to read and believe women is mm. the, the main thing and share and just uh, take it in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ruth Keeley, our previous guest, did a, a really good blog uh, called Reclaim the Night. We'll put that in our show notes. We shared it on Twitter last week as well. So that's a, a, a good read as well from someone that we that we know on the podcast. And good news is that, you know, we're coming out of the massive lockdown we've been in in the mm -hmm. sense that we can run with other people now. So women, yep. if, if you're feeling unsafe, please don't not go out at all unless, you know, unless you're really unsafe. But find some mates, go out together, you know, just try and... We've got to try and stop this sort of cycle of fear as well. And like, you know, Ruth, in terms of reclaiming things, we've, we've still got to go out there and, and show up and, and stuff like that. And if you feel better doing that in a whatever size group we're allowed to do it in, wherever you are, then go out and do it. Yeah. Big deep breath now. <gasps> okay, um, we can move on with the, the silliness of the rest of the podcast, hopefully, without... Uh, doing this too much. Uh, anyway, so also this week, as we've just sent a couple of BS buffs out there, we want to give a shout out to Polina, Ivanova and all of our Bulgarian listeners. Amy, what do they say in Bulgaria after they finish a run? I cannot pronounce that. You've put that in there on purpose. And I well, cannot... you, you, can you not read Cyrillics? No. And, and, and let me just say, I can barely say things in English, let alone in any other language you'd like me to read. <laughs> I put like an anglicized, uh, the English okay, version there. Go on, just have a go. Try... <laughs> By a ganetto? By... That sounds Italian. By a ganetto e pulna glupost. Beautiful. Um... <laughs> I probably said something really offensive in Bulgarian. <laughs> So there we go. That apparently is, I think it's actually like running is super nonsense in uh, Bulgarian. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was, I'm sure, really touching for Plea. I'm sure that's really made her day. I'm always really impressed by, we get listeners from all around the world. Obviously, people who are listening to a podcast in a second language. Mm. That's just amazing to me, being so English and like having no respect whatsoever for any other language. I just it just blows my mind that people can listen to like conversational shit like this mm. in a different language. It's kind of amazing. Um, Polina actually did also say when I said, you know, I'm quite impressed. She said, I'm certain that not being appreciated in her own time only speaks to Amy's genius. You guys are both so much fun to listen to. What she, perhaps what perhaps that was a bad that? translation. I, don't care. <laughs> I think it's something that you've said yourself at some point. 
that's quite ominous. <laughs> You're a Bulgarian genius. I am, I am. I'm one of the great, well, not Bulgarian philosophers, but a great philosopher known in Bulgaria. <laughs> if you are listening in a non-English speaking country, we would love to hear from you. Because as I said, we are kind of fascinated and amazed that anyone mm. listens to this. And send us how you say running is bullshit in your native language and I will butcher yeah. it. <laughs> when I but try not Bulgarian, to we've got that covered. We've got Bulgarian, we think... <laughs> Uh, coming up on the rest of the podcast, we're talking to Nick Small about what happened when he went for a run on some ice. We talk about blisters, recovery runs, protein, and we hear more non-running content from Amy's mum, just because that's the thing that we do now. That's the, I can't yeah, remember that's why. the feature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Amy, what have you been up to? Well, I went for a run today. I have been Hooray. going on a few runs. I'm, you know what? I'm actually... So I'm supposed to be doing that ultra, the Brampton Valley Way... Battle of the Brampton Valley Valley blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 Battle of the Brampton Valley Way. I'm supposed to be doing that in a few weeks. Like it's about a month away now. Um, so I thought I'd take a look at a training plan. <laughs> a month. Yeah, out. yeah, that's a good idea. I thought I'd take a look at a training plan. How many uh, five week <laughs> ultra training plans are there? <laughs> Not many. Um, I mean, to be fair, I'm okay because at this point in the training plan, I should be running 12 miles on my long run on the first day of my long run which is it's fine I can do that I did that today it was a bit of a struggle but I can do it um and then part of doing these sorts of training plans which I think is a good idea and makes sense is that you do two runs on a weekend so normally mm. if I did a long run I take the next day I'd have a rest day the next day but you should be doing like a fairly like say seven miles the next day on tired legs yeah. so that's what I'm going to try I'm probably gonna get injured because <laughs> you know so I've done a long run today 12 miles today and then I'm going to try and do sort of six or seven miles tomorrow and try and actually take this uh take this ultra training <laughs> semi-seriously I'm sort of hoping they cancel it I'm not sure how likely that is with how uh, lockdown restrictions are being lifted at the moment, gradually. But I am praying for a cancellation because I haven't trained enough at all. I just love how you're about to say then, I'm going to take this seriously. But I could see you stopped yourself yeah. halfway through it to think, oh shit, no, I can't say that. No. Semi-seriously. <laughs> well, fingers crossed you get injured and that'll give you an excuse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, my big my run today, I ran through a massive puddle. That was my thing today. Oh, well done. Yeah. It, it, Did you need to? No. They, they, it was like at the end of a field and I could have just walked around it, which I did on the way back. I could have just walked around the puddle on the field, but I thought it was going to be fairly shallow. My shoes were already kind of wet, um, but it went up to my knees and it was mud and I thought I was going to fall over, which would have been even great, you know, better content. But, but no, that was it really. That's all my If bullshit. it went up to your knees, that's what, four or five inches? I know. It would have gone up to most people's ankles, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's my bullshit for today. Went for a run, ran through a big puddle. Well, it's like a lake, really. It wasn't really a puddle. Okay, we're saying that. Yeah. What's been your bullshit? I was just thinking about what you said there about, um, like, the idea of split long runs, like doing Mm. 10 miles on Saturday and Sunday. It's been years and years. I keep thinking, oh, that seems like a good idea, because I always see them in, like, training plans. Never done it. I don't think I've ever done that. I just always see it as being a really good idea, and I just never get around to it, because it sounds hard. Yeah, it makes sense. It does, sense. but I haven't done... Yeah, but a lot of things make sense that I haven't done. <laughs> yeah, like training. Training for yeah. races makes sense, but I don't do it. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so not something that this week, but kind of something that came up on Facebook Memories this week, because how else do we remember anything? Um, and it was about the Newport Half in 2016. That happened so five years ago, a few days ago. And I just want to complain about uh, the, the race that I had there, because I, I did pretty well. I, I ran a PB that day. Um, but I have to complain about David Sinclair, who I ended up running with, who is a listener and a clubmate of mine. He 
got the place a few days before, wasn't really fast and thought, oh, we'd just go and do like two hours or something like that. Uh, I was aiming for 145. And I think I was uh, with a pacer as well. Uh, about, f I think it's about four or five miles in, he catches me up and I kind of look him over my shoulder and think, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I, I just feel quite good. So he ended up running alongside me at this kind of 145 pace. And we stayed together until about 11 miles. And at this point, I thought, I, I, you know, I cannot be bothered for a sprint finish. Mm. I just, I know I'm not going to win it. So I thought, what I'm going to do, while it's still relatively flat, before we get to the bridge towards the end, I'm going to speed up. I'm going to kick early. And I'm going to try and leave him two miles early and I can run the sprint finish out of him. And mm. um, so I did that. And, you know, I got ahead of him. I felt like, you know, I got around this corner. I, I kind of did it sneakily just around a bit of a corner and just kind of kicked a little bit to get away. And in my mind, you know, I kicked away massively. I beat him by like a minute across the line. Um, and, well, the thing that annoyed me about this is that I did beat him over the line. But because he started so far back he beat me on his chip time and I was absolutely <laughs> fucking furious about it for days. <laughs> that makes sense. I thought, I'd done, I thought I'd done so well in like kicking away from him and having a great finish. Um, I looked back at the um, Strava and I looked back at the results for the race from 2016. And like in my mind, this was like a huge lead I had over him and I've built this story up over the years. Turns out I beat him over the line by eight seconds, which isn't actually very far. And he beat me on chip time by 11 seconds. And again, I'm sure I've told this story over the years and it's been 30 seconds. It's been a minute. It's been a minute and a half. It's been all kinds of things. Yeah. And if you look at this Dravo, like K splits and the speed line on there, there's no perceptible kick. Like if you look on that, you could not tell where I sped up. <laughs> so I've built this up so much. And I've, looking back at the reality of it is not quite how it actually was. It's probably just all, you're probably just absolutely out of it. And it was all in your mind. <laughs> So yeah, it was, Dave, Dave Sinclair wasn't even in that race. Possibly, possibly not. Perhaps he doesn't exist. <laughs> he does because three weeks later, there was the World Championships in Cardiff and we did the same thing again. Actually, as we got to the start line, we were both nudging each other forward to get the other one over the start line first. So just in case it came down to a dead heat, one of us would have like a one second advantage from the start line. As it turns out, he got about two miles in and just uh, bailed because he wasn't up for it at all. And I got another PB. So I was very happy. And on that, when the, um, in the, whatever the Cardiff newspaper is, I can't even remember, they had like a supplement about the Cardiff half. I was the front page, full page photo. <laughs> Of the face of the Cardiff Half Marathon, the World <laughs> Championships. I was the face of a World Championships. Wow. I've still got a copy of it upstairs. Not Mo Farah then. Who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was done by the time it rained. He gets nothing. Oh, the rain. I remember that because I was marshalling and I had the worst flu of my life the day after. Yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised. It was awful. Yeah, I was wearing jeans as well. Well, moving on with the episode, uh, we're really glad you all enjoyed Toby's interview last time as much as we did, as we are always happy to talk about hills and dogs. We've had lots of good comments about Toby's very good dogs. Uh, this time around is another one of those guests where we read a news story and immediately started tracking them down for an interview to give us all the juicy details. And while we don't usually say this, as we all think we're pretty hardcore, this interview is about a man breaking his ankle. So while it's not gory or explicit, we just want you to be mentally prepared for that because we both kind of made odd noises when he said the word snap um there's also a couple of little audio glitches in there as well because he was using hotel wi-fi but it's nothing major and it'll be fine he was in doncaster as well and they don't really have internet or electricity there yet 
far. We're speaking to Nick Small, a trail runner, coach and race organiser whose recent experience and subsequent article really piqued our interest. So first of all, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, let's dive straight in. And if you could tell us the story of what happened to you when you went for a run back in January. I, I went on a, for a run on routes on a route that I, I run quite frequently, um, was planning a longer run than normal, but uh um, from my home, it didn't look the the conditions were, looked quite benign. Actually, um, clear blue skies. Uh, it was cold. It was you know around zero at my house, which is above where I live is about a thousand feet above sea level. And I could see that there was a bit of snow scattered on the spattering of snow on the tops, but um, you know nothing to be that fearful about but I, I sort of hadn't really considered how icy it might be up there and normally when in winter conditions I would wear fell running shoes with tungsten tips to the studs which are pretty secure even on kind of bottle ice they're they're really very very good and they're uh, but they're kind of stiff and a bit heavy, and I, uh, I, I quite like looking, running in stuff like the Innovate uh, Cross Talon 200s, which are kind of a bit like a pair of slippers, you know. And uh, foolishly chose to wear those instead of the uh, tungsten tips. Um, and um, and uh, I, I packed a reasonably good waist pack you know with you know extra over trousers um fairly reasonably extensive first aid kit uh i had a couple of space blankets you know all the usual stuff whistle blah 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 um and a buff and all that kind of thing uh, but what i didn't know i thought well I, I instead of taking a backpack i took the waist pack had i taken a backpack i could have put um, like a you know a belay jacket you know a, a lightweight down jacket in there and you know in retrospect that was a mistake going and you know thinking i'll just have a waist pack and i won't bother i mean i was reasonably kind of warm in what i had on you know the a waterproof windproof top you know a good merino wool hooded base layer and you know winter running tights and stuff so uh, you know but uh, it, and and actually the run was sort of fairly uneventful because it's actually much of it is quite a flat once you've gone up onto the tops it's actually quite flat and uh, there's a, a long conduit that runs along the side of a place called Ovenden Moor Thornton Moor and uh uh, and so because it carries water, it's relative, you know, it's got to be sort of relatively sort of flat and it's a good running surface. And so I wasn't having an, any trouble at all, even in the Cross Island 200s. But I came to a place which is a, a, a hard track, which is like a four by four track, which is hard and had either had some freeze thaw on it or, you know, like some and bits of we'd had rain recently, but it was basically sheet ice. I took one look at it and realised I just like you know I'm not going up there, <laughs> so I just stopped, had a drink, and uh, and thought oh, I'll just go back home the way I came. Have a nice little potter, you know, and uh, in the action of when I put my bottle back, in the action of just turning my body, my feet went underneath me. I must have been stood right on the edge of the ice, and one of my one of my legs went completely from underneath me, and I landed in kind of a fairly horrible contorted fashion 
and just heard it just snap. Mm. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So, <laughs> and I kind of really realised quite quickly, quite quickly that, that I, you know, I'd made quite a few mistakes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, first one, not having the right shoes for the conditions was, you know, no, number one, had I made the right shoe choice, I wouldn't have fallen over. Having said that, it might I might have considered going further on had I had those. But uh, anyway. yeah, you may not have stood in that exact spot. I may, not, I may yeah, but I met your web, but I may have like gone further along and come a cropper somewhere else. So you know, you know, you just never know, do you? But anyway, you know, so I just thought um, I, I in the kind of. 20 seconds of like yelling my head off and um, and wondering what the heck I was going to do. I was already starting to get cold because I, although I wasn't running quickly, I'd sweated a little bit <clears throat> and it was like minus one, minus two where I was. And, uh, and I thought, all oh, right, okay, well, I'm not so sure I fancy sitting here waiting for mountain rescue to turn up. And I, I reckoned it would probably take the best part of an hour, 45 minutes or something to an hour to get there. But subsequently, the local mountain rescue team, uh, one of the leaders has chastised me and told me they've had someone with me within 10 minutes. Doubtful, to be honest. But, you know, he might have had someone local who could have got there. He said, he said a, a, a doc, one of our doctors would have been with you in 25 or whatever. Even so... Um, I got to my feet and I just thought, like, there's a road, like, not like just under a mile away. And uh, so I called a relative and asked for them to meet me at the road and um, and decided I'd just haul myself there one way or another. And uh, and actually, you know, I could have called people on you in Oxenhope, which was a village, was about a mile away and, and stuff. But once I kind of got the idea that I was going to go back to the road, I was just like 100% focused on doing that. I'd like, I thought if I if I stop and think about it and stuff, I'm just going to get really, really cold. So uh, yeah, I I walked that mile with a broken fibula, as it turns out, <laughs> um, uh, which you know it was pretty painful. I was lucky that uh, I was lucky in as much as there was a road within a mile. And I was also lucky that uh, I wasn't in a place where the terrain was a bit more difficult to get back to the road. Like I didn't have to do, clamber down any steep, you know, going downhill would have been a distinct problem. You know, I'd have had to have gone on my arse or something. But um, uh, but yeah, anyway, now when, when I got to the road, another the local fell runner who I'd never met before, uh, but um, he, he, he turned up and he was in shorts and um, a thin jacket. He had no pack at all and no phone, Ooh. amazingly enough. And he was about to head where I'd just come from. I imagine but, he um, took a look at you and uh, decided that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah. He thought better of it, yeah, <laughs> when he yeah. saw the state I was in. Oh. By that time, I was, in, I was actually in quite a bad way by that time. Um, yeah, it must have been the longest mile of your life. <laughs> It felt like it. Yeah. It felt like it. Um, and 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 actually, you know, when you kind of when you're kind of hobbling along and kind of cussing and you know whatnot, it's like 
you kind you know you kind of endure it think just because you think you know you've got to get somewhere and you've got to you know but when you actually get there and I actually got to the wall uh, by the main road and had to stop and wait for this relative of mine to turn up that's when it really really kind of hit me I started shivering like crazy um this other fell runner helped me get my um because it's all it's it's all well and good having a pair, spare pair of over trousers, but if you've got a broken leg, it's not that easy to get them on. Yeah, because <laughs> you can't stand on one leg, you know. Well, you certainly can't stand on the one that's bust anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so he helped me get. But his his introduction to me was kind of having his head down between my knees, <laughs> pulling my <laughs> pulling my pants up. Yeah, which I'm sure he's, you know going to be eternally grateful for uh, i'm desperately going to resist any kind of jokes about that out on, on, the, on the mountains um the more important one how are you recovering after a, a few weeks uh, i was signed off today so i was discharged from the hospital's care today excellent um uh i after about um after about 10 days, I was supposed to go. I, I went on the first, my first visit to hospital, sort of two days after the accident. Um, on, on the day that I had the accident, I just couldn't face it, to be honest. You know, I'd, I'd enough trauma for one day. I didn't want to go and sit in a and as well. So, uh, so I just dosed up on painkillers. And I went on the Sunday and, um, and they x-rayed it and showed me the big shear from my yeah. fibula and... and uh, and then they said, uh, you know, well, I was dreading this. You know, you'll have to have a cast on it. And so they put what they call a back slab on it, which leaves the front of the cast is open. You know, it's all bandaged and stuff, but that's to accommodate swelling and all that kind of stuff. And I was supposed to have that off after about 10 days. They were going to x-ray me again and like see what they were going to do. But uh, it was that time we had all that snow and I couldn't get to the hospital. And I got so frustrated and probably a little bit mentally ill from <laughs> having this cast on for a week yeah. which I, I mean I hate I, I'm someone who I'm someone who hates wearing a coat because it feels restrictive <laughs> <laughs> so like having this cast on for a week you know in bed or like all the whole time and, and and being feeling sort of housebound I'd kind of lost my mind a little bit and so I just cut the thing off and uh, <laughs> And then, then just started walking around on it a bit, and uh, uh, another week later, so I went to the hospital. And by the, by that time, I was actually kind of able to sort of limp into the hospital without crutches. Um, but today, I mean, I walked in just kind of normal. I'm not up to running yet. No. I hasten to add, you know, it's not some kind of miraculous recovery, and I'm I'm back up to running, but I can walk normally and get. You know, do the things you need to do, like get up and down the stairs. Stairs and the stairs. There's a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I bet the hospital were relieved to uh, sign you off today then by the sounds of that. Um, does this put you off at all going on similar kind of runs in the future? Or are you going to be straight no, up there again when you can? No, I can't wait to get out again. No. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a load of people just telling me, like, because I've been going out walking and so I've been climbing hills and stuff this last few weeks. You know, I did like three and a half miles up and down, uphill, down Dale the other day. 
you know, like my wife's in and, you know, you, you know, don't push it too early and all that kind of thing. And I'm just like, you know, if, if it's not causing me any distress or pain, I'm just going to keep exercising it and tr- hopefully keep it strong, you know, keep the muscles working and keep the problem with it now. It's not actually the bone. It's like, because of course, I mean, the bone isn't giving me any pain, but as most people who are runners and know it, who had a sp- badly sprained ankle at some point or other, a sprain actually takes longer mm-hmm. to heal. And I completely fucked up the ligaments and, you know, when I went over and stuff. Mm. And so they're, um, they're sort of taking a bit more time. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll be out there again. No problem. I'll just, uh, I, I just, you know, I bought one of those running vest pack things with a backpack on so that, you know, I can take a little bit, a bit more gear if I'm stupid enough to go out running in sub-zero temperatures over there again. So what sort of gear would you, or what precautions would you recommend that other runners take when running in remote areas? What what are you going to be carrying in future that you wish you'd have at the time? The things that, the things that I wished I had when I was there and the, the thing, thus the things that I would consider carrying in the future uh, would be a change of base layer, get the wet off and put some dry on. Uh, and they're like, you know, it can be light and they take, take up no room at all. And those, you know, you get those light, I mean, I've got a Montane one, but you know, it's like those lightweight down belay jackets, like fold up next to nothing. They're, they weigh nothing. And they can actually, you know, they could actually make the difference between life and death if you were, you know, if you were out somewhere where they are going to take an hour or two hours to get to you, you know. Um, and spare gloves, spare gloves is something else I think I would probably take. Other than that, I had most of the stuff that I would need, you know, well-charged phone and all that kind of thing. I would, you know, I have what three words I have, you know, um, I have, I have all my, in case of emergency contacts, like available on the front page of my phone with it, you know, so you don't have to unlock my phone, you know, if I'm, if you're found unconscious, that's important. All those kind of things, that's all there. And, you know, I'm registered for the 112 SMS service as well, which I would recommend anyone who goes off running in wild places to do. Because if you can't get a phone signal, quite often you'll be able to send a text. A text will get through. The text will keep trying to go through until it finds a way of getting through. Whereas, uh, But you have to register for that service. So, I mean, I was generally reasonably well prepared. Yeah, uh, I mean, you do sound super well prepared. I mean, as soon as you said tungsten tips on your fell shoes, I mean, that kind of indicates to us you're a hardcore runner. Um, but even with all these things... I think just because it was so cold caused you a real issue. And I, I'm certain that most people that run on what we'd, I'd kind of consider like a normal trail out in the kind of countries and the hills probably don't carry anywhere near as much stuff as they could. You know, we're told we have to carry compulsory kit for ultras and fell races, but I'm yep. certain I, I don't certainly don't carry enough on training runs. No. And, and, and I actually, no, very few. I mean, I know a lot of runners, a lot of fell runners who are out on out there every day, and very few of them. One of the reasons I wrote that post on fell runners or fell runners UK Facebook 
page initially was because I know so many runners go out, you know, carrying the bare minimum. And I mean, I know quite a few go out carrying, don't even carry a phone. I mean, I actually, somebody I know, I won't name, but uh, her husband actually contacted me to say that she, you know, he'd actually waved that article in front of her because she's in the habit of going out running on the hills with no phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm 58 now. When you get to my age and stuff, you you start thinking about, like, if I have a bit of a heart attack or something like that when I'm out there or, you know, you, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that you can contact people or whatever, if necessary. So, yeah. But that was the reason I wrote that thing was because I just wanted other people to think, am I carrying enough? You know, if, if something goes wrong, which, I mean, I've been running most of my life and, that's the first time I've had anything go really quite badly wrong. Yeah. You know, I felt it, you know, I've fallen in streams before now, but I mean, that can be pretty, you know, that can be pretty uh, dangerous if you do it in the wrong place. Yeah. I think, well, even if just running on the streets, it's so easy to slip off a curb or fall over a paving slab to hurt something. And someone might not walk past you for an hour. And if you've not got a phone, you know, that you can be in real trouble then. So I think, any time i'm always surprised people don't carry phones on any kind of run and we'll have more from nick later on i heard recently actually on the fastest known podcast on an episode about cold weather it's the more experienced runners that tend to get into the most trouble out in the wilderness because they're the ones that can go much further before they get in trouble and oftentimes um, they also don't have the survival skills especially in america where it's a lot more extreme environments I can imagine that. I can imagine as well, uh, what's the word, uh, overestimating your abilities and mm. how well you might, you know, cope with things. So I just, I'm just astounded that he managed to walk back to the road. Yeah, he, no, he didn't use the word hop, which I no, find curious. Like I walked back to the road. Like, what? Walk <laughs> I'd be calling the air ambulance, the air ambulance. I nearly called the air ambulance when I was lost in bloody Snowden, <laughs> let alone <laughs> if I snapped my ankle in half. <laughs> But I think that was the problem. It was just getting cold and you knew you had to at least move. Yeah, that's oh. mad though. That That's insane. Yeah, I can't. So although horrible. I suppose the adrenaline takes over, doesn't it? But still, that's mad. Blah, blah. Anyway, you can support this bullshit by heading to patreon.com forward slash running is bullshit and giving us just two pounds a month, which can be cancelled at any time. Uh, feel free. We don't mind. Uh, this allows us to carry on, do more races once we're allowed and complain about even more things. And for some reason... Uh, that I can't really remember why we started, we will sing your names. Uh, Amy, what have you got for us this week? <laughs> you just got to listen. I'm not even going to describe it. You just got to listen to it. Okay, here it is. Brian Simpson, Matt, Joan, Charlie, Nevson, Matt, Garner, Rachel, Bentley, Ruth, Katie, Ivor, Hewitt. Angela, Foster, Swales, Matt, Lee, Paul Hibbert, Jonathan Carson, Nikki, Genders, David, Irwin. Anthony Howe, Gordy, Thelwell, Hughes, Phillips, Chris, Whitmore, Amanda Marie, Hyde, Clark, 
Gilmore Clark, Gilmore, we didn't start the bullshit. It's always been coming since the world's been running. We didn't start the bullshit. Go to Patreon to be the next song. Stuart Stevens, Kirk Shepherd, Karen Hamilton, Rich Simon, Seth, Paul, Elliot, Line, Liz. Wow, I have just listened to that for the first time uh, just now, the same as you guys all have as well. And wow, what what can I say? It's can It's I, got everything. Can I just put a disclaimer? Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. I, I was an hour late to the recording of this podcast because I was finishing that. As that, usual. That. And no, no, I was okay. So I was already delayed the podcast because I'd come home from my run a bit later and I was having a shower and stuff. And I wanted to have something to eat. I had two burgers, which was amazing. Um, anyway, so I thought it was just going to take me half an hour to do this song like it normally does. No, it took me an hour. And can I just say that the main reason why it took me so long is because I had to do so many takes to get the timings right. And then when I put it in GarageBand, it fucked everything up. And I was getting so frustrated trying to get it like back in the right timings. I just thought, fuck it, just leave it. Just that's it. That's it. It's done. You guys are only giving us two pound a month. You're gonna have to up it if you want better production quality. It took me so long, and then GarageBand just like fucked the whole thing up. So that, in my defence, that's what happened. I love your explanation. Defence of it is longer than the file itself. <laughs> yeah. See, this is how much work and stress goes into this. Oh my god, I was getting really stressed because I could see it was like getting to quarter past four, and I was like, "Shit!" I mean, I I know how like the big artists feel now when they're pressed to get. You know, they've only got a certain amount of studio yeah. time. The Lady Gaga's got to get her album out, and she's like, "Shit, I can't get Garage Band to fucking work." That's what I'm just like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd, if we say we're recording at three, I know if my phone goes off at about two o'clock, that's you postponing. Yeah, because I haven't, because uh, I've probably gone it and done something is. else, like gone for a run, which I've also procrastinated. <laughs> and then I've got to prep for the podcast and then I've got to record a fucking Patreon song. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you've got a month till the next one. So hopefully you'll have calmed down a little bit by then. <laughs> Should we move on, Amy? Let's move on. That's just a little segment that we throw in now. This is getting longer each time. <laughs> Us arguing as well and all these bloody names. Um, so your messages. The Nikki Genders update. Um, I haven't got a song for it because I couldn't be bothered. Um, she says, we are on the road back to the UK, driving through France, listening to the podcast with our new rescue dog, Gus, at my feet. Did, is that a new name for him? His name was Argos. Yeah, so that was it. Yeah, it, which Gus. here in the UK is a, a shop so they changed it to our Gus, like R, like R's and Gus, and now they just call him Gus for short. Uncle Gus. Yeah, Aww. Uncle Gus. Uh, she also said, I would like to reassure Stuart that we had PCR tests yesterday, so your accusatory comments of being a super spreader can cease and desist. <laughs> mm, well, by the time the next episode airs, we will have two more tests on day two and day eight, plus 10 days of home-based isolation. So whatever the opposite of a super spreader is, we will be it. Sounds a bit defensive. A little bit offensive, but it obviously runs in the genes, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, she finished, I will continue to communicate with Amy through the medium of this podcast until I can see her face to face. Not if I lock all the doors. Yeah, she can try. <laughs> she can try, but the barricades are up. <laughs> if she wants to say something, she'll have to make her own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
in other tweets and emails and messages that aren't from my mother, at Holly Corlett says, what exactly are recovery runs? From what I gather from looking at Strava is that you go for a normal run at your normal pace and you call it recovery just because it's run on a Monday. Yeah, so no messages from your mother, messages from my girlfriend instead. Because <laughs> she, she said this a couple of days ago and I said, like, you'd have to email it to me because I'm not going to remember to talk about it yeah. otherwise. Yeah, we're running a bit dry on the podcast as well. We need more interactions. <laughs> yeah, so we're just getting our family to do this shit for us now. <laughs> And it's true, similar to what we said about people who always insist on letting you know, oh, this is just an easy run. God, by the way, guys, this uh, 21 minute 5k, that was just an easy one. Um, recovery runs. People just do normal runs, but because it's a Monday, they say it's a recovery run. I'm certain if we ask people what is a recovery run, they wouldn't actually be able to give us a good answer. I always see recovery runs as something that just stretches the legs after a long run. Like the next day, like just three miles or something, like just something short to stretch the legs out. But that's when it. people are running like a 10k no, at, I don't, like, yeah. at like 90% pace, as it's not because of recovery run, because it's after my long run. No, that's not how it works. And also, recovery runs don't help you recover. No. That's not, I it's get, a bad name. I get active recovery. So I get like going for a walk or like a slow run, a slow short run or something else. I get that. But yeah, like you say, if you're going for like a 10k or something and you're doing it at your normal pace, it's not really recovering, is it? Yeah. If anyone knows what recovery run actually is or should be... I was going to say let us know, but I'm not sure if I want to know. <laughs> it's one of those things, it's just like trainers. It's the thing that people could talk about for ages and I'm not really interested. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of trainers, I'm going to talk more about them. Um, I tweeted, so we've gone from your mum to my girlfriend to things that I've tweeted now. <laughs> um, so a few days ago, I had this last weekend, my trail shoes decided I no longer needed skin on my ankle. And sadly, it was an argument that they won. And there's a lovely photo for Amy. Why have you made it so big? <laughs> Well, just to get are the those, full effect. Are those flip-flops and socks? Uh, no, that's a slipper. I've slipped off. Oh, okay. And some, a soccer roll say, down. Jesus. I love slippers. I'm always in my slippers. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I lost a fair bit of skin on my ankle. So that was terrific. Luckily, it wasn't like a really deep one that hurts loads. It just took off a wide area of skin. So it's been okay for the rest of the week. Gross. But I just don't know why, for some reason, my trail shoes just decided, you know what, you don't need all that skin. I hate that, though. I hate that when you've got, like, a really good pair. Of, not that I get this off very often, because I've told people before, my feet are perfect, so I never get blisters. But a bit of rub, not a blister, but a bit of rub, when you've had shoes that have always been perfect, and then on a random run, they decide to just rub somewhere. You're like, why are you doing this now? Because well, once they've rubbed once, that area's going to become inflamed, and they're going to rub again, because that area is inflamed. So yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Betrayal. More, more on trainers that I'm not interested in, but in the, this kind of context I am. I've, I've got another pair of running shoes that I haven't worn in about four months because I had rainbow laces in them, but they were a bit too short and I couldn't do them up properly. So I took the rainbow laces out and I haven't put the other laces back in for four months. That's I've got really the laces on my desk. They're right in front of me now. The shoes are over there behind me. Haven't done them. Too fucking lazy. That's your excuse. I think it's just homophobia. Your homophobia is why I took the laces out, yeah, but I haven't put the new laces in just because I'm lazy. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, the two go sort of hand in hand, so, you know. Yeah, I guess. So I've just got the other pair of shoes that I haven't worn that I should be because my usual pair of shoes are always wet because it's always raining. Oh, do you not? We have an immersion heater. I When I come in from a run, I stand my shoes on the immersion heater and it dries them. I've got radiators, but I again, I forget to do that because I'm lazy and stupid. Oh. It's a big theme of my running generally. Out lazy stupidity yeah but i'm um, one that's always late so. <laughs> yeah what a team i've always said we're the definitely the worst running podcast host incompetence there. upon incompetence upon incompetence oh, I love it. 
Um, more things I don't like that I want to complain about is that I thought I saw someone talking about protein Maltesers on Facebook, and I thought this has gone too far. But it was just oh, it was just Malteser flavored protein powder, which I guess is fine because that that's kind of quite nice. That's okay, but then it made me think about protein Snickers and Mars because we've got some in the fridge that someone else bought for us, and I just think who are those aimed at? Like, if you want protein, you're not going to eat a Snickers. If you really want a Snickers, you're not going to be fussed about protein. But also, Snickers already have protein. They've got peanuts in them, haven't they? Nuts. Yeah, but all like a Mars bar or any of these other ones. I'm like, if you're really, really fussed about getting your protein up, uptake up, you're not going to be eating a chocolate bar to do that. No. And if you really, really want some chocolate, you're not going to be fussed about protein in them. I just don't understand them. And they cost about two quid. And these trends just come in and out about what's good for us and our food. And at the moment, it seems to be protein. I get the protein flavours. Like if you're taking a protein supplement, Maltesers, that sounds yeah. amazing as a protein supplement because most of them taste disgusting. But yeah, I don't get these products with added protein in. And it's funny because... As a vegan, I often get asked the, the age-old question, where do you get your protein from? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But actually, it's really difficult to be deficient in protein. You know, I get it if you're um, if you're working out and you're an athlete and you need a bit of protein to replenish and all that, then you may want to add a bit more to your diet. But protein's in a lot of things. There's a lot it's of protein in fucking everything vegetables now. and everything. Any, like it's, but it's any really ridiculous difficult. thing now. But it's really difficult on a normal diet, even a vegan diet, to be deficient in protein. It's incredibly difficult. So I don't know what this obsession about protein is. If you need it for your exercise and gym and running or whatever, fair enough, get a protein supplement. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about putting it in Mars bars and stuff. It's fine. You know, just just take it like everyone else does a shake. Yeah, Jesus. On a similar theme, at Deb Wu Artist sent us a link to an isotonic sports beer saying it was surely bullshit oh, so isotonic sports beer like specific beer mm-hmm. that's isot- oh, God. I don't understand so the quote from the uh, the advert says a giant leap for isotonic drinks are 0.5% like, what's the point craft beer range is the perfect post-workout drink like, what's the, the point? perfect post-workout drink there's literally nothing better than low strength beer 0.5% you might as well just have an alcoholic free alcohol free drink surely like what's the point anyway have they done the science have they done the research is that the perfect post-workout drink there is literally nothing better all you're going to see in the olympics this year they're all going to be down in their beers after after the races it's all a bit of a scam i do like the uh the design of the the cans though that's quite nice but there we go it's a scam (laughs) Uh, I am Vic on Twitter also said having a run interrupted by injured wildlife is bullshit and she put in a screenshot of her Strava where she's got a description of had to cut it short and walk home with an injured rat <laughs> which is not what what I was expecting did she, ex- now, like, did she explain while, this <laughs> no um like, you know while I kind of praise your compassion this is obviously a very lovely thing that you felt strongly about, but did you have to save a rat? Yeah, Vic, like, I like I don't want to be down on rats. I don't mind rats. I I, I used to have pet rats. They make look like a a proper bred rat that's meant to be a pet, not a a rat on the street. But I've seen some of the rats on the street, and they're massive, and they're fearless, and they're dirty. Like, Vic, should you have been picking up... A rat from... It was like a street rat. Like, those massive ones that look like the size of cats... Don't be picking up rats. They're gross. And I, I just think, like, there's there's plenty of rats. Yeah. We're not going to miss one. They, they literally 
go through your rubbish. Don't be. Yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be mean about this because obviously, again, you've you know you've been very compassionate and you've done this, and it's lovely that you've done that. But it's not something I don't oh. think I would do. No, I love animals, but I wouldn't be picking up a rat. Not because I'm scared, just because it's filthy. <laughs> the rat, I mean, you know. <laughs> oh dear. Well, well done, Vic. Friend of the animals. Friend of the animals, Vic. Friend of the rats. <laughs> You'll be the rat queen. <laughs> the rat queen. They'll all, be, they'll all be following you around now on your runs. Oh, There'll be a little know, uh, procession about, behind you protecting you. Do you know about rat kings? Like those rats when they develop with like all their tails <sighs> joined together and they become yeah. like one giant monster rat. Yeah, that is nasty. Yeah, oh, don't be picking those up either. Anyway. Don't, no, don't pick up rat kings. It's another great piece of advice. <laughs> At Iva underscore Hewitt says latex joggers. Any thoughts? And he's posted this awful picture of some adidas originals latex joggers they're brown for a stop before we even get into anything else they're, they're this horrible like shit brown color and they're a yeah. hundred pounds and they're awful i mean they're not joggers no because it, it, that's a no, lie they're, they're latex they're, yeah they've got like a little they look like jeans at the top they've got belt loops who's wearing yeah. a belt with latex joggers and like also on this image, it's kind of cut off at the waist, but she also seems to be wearing a brown top it's awful. and some white and brown shoes. It's all very brown and shiny. And again, who's this for? Who's asked for this? What market be, research has suggested this? You wouldn't be going jogging in it. I mean, you'd be sweating for a start. I mean, people will hear you coming. Oh, definitely. It's I mean, weird. that's going to sound like a rat. It's so weird. It's like a weird like fetish thing. You know, some people have like a latex fetish. It is so, a bit It's wish. so bizarre. Yeah. You wouldn't expect to see that on the street. You'd think somebody was a bit perverted, wouldn't you? Yeah, but well, it is free delivery for £100, so... You'd have to. They'd, have, they'd want to pay me bloody £100 to be wearing that. Oh, yeah. More, more shit running gear, please. We want to see that. <laughs> Let's now go back to Nick Small to find out more about his fell races and what he thinks is the most bullshit thing about running. We said at the beginning, you're also a coach and a race organizer. Um, so what kind of events is it that you're offering? Um, well, I'm a, a member of Halifax Harriers. And uh, we have traditionally organized um, what is, I think, the biggest kind of club organized off-road event in the country, mm. which is the Calderdale Way Relay. Um, and it's a lot of fell runners. For a lot of fell runners, it's their favorite race. And for a lot of people who run on the roads and stuff or like dabble with trail and stuff, it's actually an entry, it's a gateway event mm -hmm. to fell running. It's pretty, you know, a lot for a lot of people, it's their first experience of it because, you know, teams have to put, you know, you've got teams of 12. So you've got six legs, two runners on each leg. And teams inevitably start scrabbling around like, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, they'll have like a dozen. Oh, sorry, half a dozen fell runners, and then they're kind of filling the team up with other people who mm. are going to have a go or whatever. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's 12, 1,200 runners across a 50-mile route over six legs. So with whatever it is, five changeovers, uh, each one in, you know, has its own kind of, challenges of you so you've got 400 runners at each change over 200 coming in 200 going out you've got all the things to consider about like toilets facilities you know um food drink having marshals there people to check kit 
all that kind of stuff. It's massive. It's a massive, massive event. But it's the reason I kind of took it on was because I've, it looked like if I didn't, no one else would. And and I was desperate that the event, you know, which is, as I say, a lot for a lot of people, it's their favorite. You know, you ask people like Ben Mounsey or whatever, I think a lot of you, he would quite often come and say it's his favorite. A lot of them would say it's their favorite day of the year. And uh, mainly because it's like the, it's a fun day as well as being a very seriously competitive race. It's a very much a kind of, there's a sort of, a bit of camaraderie and fun about it with so many runners there and stuff. Um, It's the relay aspect of it as well makes it a huge difference. I mean, down here in South Wales, I think a lot of people would say there's a similar relay event on a much smaller scale, but we have, I think there's 250 teams of three or four. And again, it's a huge event. And just because it's a team event, that makes it so much more. Yeah, it is is great. And, And I love it. I love it. I mean, my problem is that... I, you know, if I want to retire from it, I can't because <laughs> I can't think of anybody who actually would put their hands up and go, you know, I'll do that. I mean, I'm lucky because I have a um, a good team around, you know, there's a, a committee of like a dozen, like 10 people or whatever, many of whom have been doing it for years, um, who uh, who helped me put it on. And, you know... I have to and I have to rely upon the Halifax Harriers runners for um, marshalling and stuff. But uh, but no, it's 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 a BMF <laughs> to put on basically. Yeah. What um, can uh, you talked about some of the challenges of organising such big races? But what can runners do then to sort of make race organisers' lives easier? Are there any annoying things that runners do? Uh, I'd say principally don't pee on the church wall in the village when you're changing. That is solid yeah. general advice for all runners. Don't pee on church walls. Pee in, the, pee in the toilets provided, not on the curbside, into people's front gardens, against the churchyard wall, that kind of thing. That's probably the one that's my biggest bugbear. It's like, you know, why do, you know, like villagers welcome us and you know put tea and cake and stuff on and when you get you know you know half a dozen people going and doing that it's yeah that kind of thing really isn't it amazing you have to say that out loud to adults yeah yeah there were some marshals at cardiff half the last few years and their job was to hold up signs that said don't pee on the course you know it's (laughs) It's in a city. No, yeah. yeah, I literally have to put signs everywhere. And there's one particular village, there's one particular changeover where I literally I have to put signs all over the place. Do not pee on this wall. Do not pee on that wall. <laughs> Do not pee on know? any of the walls. And it's like, <laughs> and, and and I would I would like you know if the locals photographed anyone doing it with the number on and stuff, I'd, I'd disqualify the team straight away. Because it jeopardises the whole event when people do stupid stuff like that. Or, or, or runners, you know, they're on their way to the start and somebody comes buying a car, buying a car, and they're like, you know, bang on the car door or something, you know, like get a bit antsy with someone, you know, a local who's just on their way to church or on their way to the shop. And, you know, those. thankfully, thankfully, 
the, those people are few and far between. And I would say, you know, if I have 1,200 runners, you know, I'll maybe get four or five idiots a year. Yeah. I mean, but they can make they can make a lot of problems. Those four or five idiots can make a problem. Yeah. Runners fighting on the course, that's that's another one. <laughs> uh, is it that competitive? <laughs> you cheated. No, I didn't. <laughs> like ice hockey where the gloves come off. So, yeah. <laughs> the buffs come off. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I've had to go at the finish line and take to them, and you know, like a sort of headmaster with two kids going, like, right, now shake hands and all this kind of stuff. But by and large, they're great, and I'd like the re- one of the reasons I like putting it on is just because you just see so many people with smiling, happy faces at the end, and that's why I do it. It's just you know I see so many people and you know having a great day, having their pie and peas and their pint of Stodfold Gold at the end of the day. You know we have our own branded ale now. <laughs> it's like nice. you know. wow. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, so I, and I organised that race, and then uh, which is a huge event, and then I organised a race called Ogden Midsummer Madness, which is at a local nature reserve where I do a bit of volunteering, and uh, that's a very kind of small, eighty runners or so, on an incredibly beautiful but incredibly demanding and challenging course, and that's. One's a huge undertaking. The other one, you know, I could do with like half a dozen people, you know. Um, Well, far bit from us to finish on such a positive note. We have to ask our final question, which is what is the most bullshit thing about running? (laughs) Running on the road. You know, I was going to say that, didn't you? Oh, yeah. We got that feeling from the rest of it, yeah. (laughs) Running on the road, running in traffic fumes, dodging cars bikes whatever you know running on the pavement that's like you know and i have one more running is bullshit thing as well of and course. that is the commercialization of these big running events now yes absolutely yeah something we've said all the time something i was thinking just at the end of your last answer as well is that it's club races are the ones we always recommend and i'm always telling people to do because they are so much better yeah, no, I, I'm not a big fan of all those big, you know, commercial, you know, dudes, you know, uh, no, it's, that's not what running's about to me. I mean, I don't even race anymore. It's just about enjoying the running. Mm. So. Yeah, there's so much more value in club races just because you, because they're so much cheaper, so much friendlier and local yeah. and different. And it's not just another half marathon in a city, which you can kind of do. I mean, you know, they have their... They have their upsides that, you know, they are great for big events if you're into that. But I always think it's the smaller events across odd distances and in strange places are so much more satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on with that. Well, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. We hope you. you are running on the fells again soon. And we hope everyone who's listened to this has paid attention. And if they're out for a long trail run in somewhere obscure, make sure you've got all your gear with you. Don't be as stupid as I was. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. So there we go. Some solid gold advice from Nick there. Please don't wee on churches or fight at the finish line. Uh, That's why we wanted a race director on for a while, to give us these kind of insights that us runners just simply wouldn't think of. Yeah, don't. You know what? I always, whenever I go past a church, I always want to pee on it. Just pee on the gate, you know, the thing. But I... 
But now he said that, I thought it's probably not appropriate, you know. Uh, my second ultra, I did have a poo in a church. In a church, like not just on the altar. You went to the no, toilet. No, there was a toilet like in oh, the okay. churchyard, but oh. it's just funny to say I pooped in church. Holy shit. I was so happy I found a toilet though, because there wasn't one on this uh, route. It's a oh. 30 mile route and there wasn't a toilet at the halfway point. That's, Very annoyed about that. That's what you got to do with ultras. You've either got to know or be with someone like I had for the Vogan with Bernie. Know someone who knows yeah. where their toilets are. She had this little list and I was thinking, God, she's really prepared, but... You need to be that prepared. Know where your public toilets are, for show. Sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> oh, i got to sing again. Bullshit running news. Bullshit running news. Bullshit running news. Do, 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 do. It's amazing how you can give us that kind of gold so quickly, yet it takes you an hour <laughs> to do the other bits. I'm better just, you know, just ad-libbing, you know? <laughs> just off the cuff. Yeah. Um, the not cuff. much news going on this week no. i'm gonna put out yet another ask if you see any bullshit running news please let us know because it's getting harder to find any we need races back this is the only reason we need races back i don't want to do them i just want to talk about them um you may remember back in episode 27 we spoke about nor alexandria abu karam who ran a pb across country at her ohio school but was then disqualified for wearing a hijab uh, it turns out her coach hadn't completed the waiver that gave special dispensation to wear religious headwear. Well, since then, she's worked with the Ohio State Senator to write a bill which prohibits schools and interscholastic organizations from adopting rules, banning the wearing of religious apparel during athletic events and any other extracurricular activities. She now has a website called Let Nor Run, which came out of the social media campaign that followed. Uh, she's hosted a virtual 5K and is now an activist working to make sure everyone has access to our sport. So that's nice. That's awesome. I don't get the big thing over it anyway, because it wasn't exactly... Wearing something like that is not going to enhance your performance. So what's the big deal? I don't understand. Yeah. I wonder how many people were racing wearing like cross necklaces and stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was a horrible story. I remember doing it back mm. then. But it's, since then, she's carried on running and she's carried on uh, becoming this activist now. So that is great. I've seen quite a few uh, sports companies like uh, Nike and, and Adidas have started doing um, sports hijabs as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Because I'm assuming um, it's better to have like a more breathable uh, sort of fabric than some of the hijabs that you wear, like everyday use are made out of. Well, yeah. So that's fantastic. And just... It, in any other case, what a huge market for it as well. Yeah, definitely. Get in yeah. on the ground floor of that. Yeah. And our final bit of news, LGBTQ plus runner Mika Meyer, which is a great name, has run across the state of Mississippi to raise awareness for LGBTQ plus rights. I thought this was a really interesting story here from Runner's World. And it is worth the links. The link to it will be in our show notes. It's worth um, giving it a read because it's quite a long one, but it's really interesting. So he started his month-long journey of running across Mississippi. I think he ran across the northern part of the state. So he started on the 1st of February and he ran an average of 10k a day over roughly 170 miles. And according to the Runner's World article, the low daily mileage was purposeful in the sense that his goal was not only to run and um, to raise money, but also to have conversations along the way with people who did and did not identify as LGBTQ+. And you can imagine in a state like Mississippi, he was meeting with a lot of mixed responses there. So that's why the article is an interesting one to read. <laughs> what mm. made me like laugh, or well, not laughing in a like, haha kind of way, but what was funny was that some of the people that obviously um, were were homophobic or whatever, but weren't really coming out with it like in a really obvious way, said things like, now just be careful, y'all, and things like that. But 
apparently the way they said it, it was more like a threat, you know, like, like just yeah. watch out and all this sort of thing. So it's really interesting to read that story and to read the mixed responses. I think he was raising money for the Trevor Project, which I think started in Mississippi, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and some other uh, LGBTQ plus related charities. So, yeah, we'll have a read that one. Yeah, it reminds me a little of um, Ben Smith, the way he did all of his marathons, 401 in a row. Um, and he, he did a load of school trips on the way. He, did, yeah. he went into schools and assemblies and spoke to kids on the way, as well as doing all that. Mm. It was amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'd love to know a bit more about it because it must have been quite scary as well because he was running in things like to raise um, the visibility of it. He was running in like various costumes and stuff. And I think I saw one of the pictures he had like a a tutu thing on that was rainbow and and things like that. So running in a state like Mississippi in certain areas, I'm sure must have been Mm. quite scary as well to be so visible. Um, So, yeah, that must have been a really interesting journey for him. Yeah, absolutely. Our final section is the, uh, you know, what have we got coming up? I mean, should we just skip it this time? Because there's nothing. nothing. Is there. that, well, the ultra hopefully will not happen. Uh, sorry, the ultra will hopefully happen. Yeah. <laughs> that will be coming up next. I'm training anyway because I've got the Vogue on the 1st of June. So I need to train. I do need to train anyway. But other than that, it's bloody shit all coming up, isn't there? So. Uh, but in Wales now, we can drive to exercise. It's only we? about five miles or so. Oh. Um, but it makes such a difference. I've already done it this morning. I'm going out tomorrow as well, dead early to beat oh, everyone else. Oh, is that else. right now? Not from Monday? It is, yes. Oh, amazing. That's going to be great. So, be, oh, so oh, I can't wait that. until we can actually drive other places as well. Oh, what a luxury. To think you can drive somewhere, run and drive home again. You don't have to run all the way there and then just run back again. No, I'm, oh. I'm looking forward because I don't drive at the moment. But those runs where you run, like, say, along the Taft Trail and just get the train home. I love stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's the small things, eh? <laughs> yeah, uh, Park Run's on its way back It's sometime in June, probably. Hey. Uh, we're not going to talk about that too much. Uh, listen to With Me Now for all that. That's a much better place for information. But that's nice. Hopefully that'll be back soon mm. and I can drag Amy to a park run. Make no difference to my life, even though I literally live about <laughs> half a mile down the road from one now and have no You're excuse. You're <laughs> I, w- I won't know, eh? It'll be next June and I'll be like, oh, it's Park Run come back then. <laughs> right, come on, wrap the shit up. If you've enjoyed this bullshit, please visit runningisbs.com to see the show notes and links from the episode and the whole back catalogue, as well as links to our Patreon, merch store, and social media. Hi, everyone. Whenever I go past a church, I always want to pee on it.